Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. Firstly, I'm going to start with prices for wheat. At this moment in time, the price for wheat for November X Farm Norfolk is £172 a tonne. For next May, it's £179. And the, the strange thing at the moment for this year is the September and October price is very close to the November price. So if you have got wheat to sell, it would probably be as good selling it in September or October at just a £1 discount. I will also predict what I think the price will be relative to this week in a week's time. So we'll see just how bad I am at predictions. So for next week, I believe the price for wheat will be lower than this week. Wheat has had a very difficult harvest at the start because there was a lower yield and in the middle of the country we definitely saw 20% reduction in yields. As we've got towards the end of harvest the coastal strip and the north of England has definitely come home with much better yields. This has had a dramatic effect along with some other other issues that has brought the price down this week by £10 a tonne so it's not the best week to start a market report. Certainly bigger yields has brought in an extra half a million tonnes, we think, to the UK crop size. Closure of an ethanol plant for maintenance in September will add 100,000 tonnes to the balance sheet as that that plant should be out of action for the whole month. On top of that, imports of corn and feed wheat has been relentless into the north of the country. This tonnage is not determined yet because you don't get the official figures until two to three months after the event. But we are estimating that the the three things I've mentioned could add a million tonnes to the amount of supply of grain into the UK. So inevitably that the supply and demand balance has now become a surplus. What we need to do is get to export levels to clear the surplus. And at the moment, that means the price has to go down further, hence my prediction for next week. So short-term view, until we get to export, then I'm afraid the price goes down. There are some, as as one of my Irish friends uh, told me this morning when I was asking him about when he's going to buy wheat from me, he said there'll be some bumps in the road. And by that, he means Donald Trump doing a a deal with the Chinese, or he means uh, President Putin announcing a curb on exports, which was rumoured last week and then turned out not to be true. And he also said, don't forget that the UK is in a, a small surplus situation, but If you look at Scandinavia and Germany, you've got a unique situation where they are importers instead of exporters for the first time. Now that, where we're located on the East Coast, speaking parochially as a Norfolk trader, uh, is a great opportunity. It's a very cheap freight rate from Lowestoft to Denmark. So sometime during the season, there will be exports from the UK. I just hope it happens sooner rather than later. If you take a value at the moment of what you can buy black sea wheat into somewhere like Ireland, it would cost the equivalent of about 177 fob Lowestoft. What that means is, if we were selling a boat, we would have to be offering it at 177 or lower, and from that you take off a loading charge. So it's about 174 delivered to Lowestoft. 
So it's about £5 lower than where we are today. Unfortunately, if our prices come down to that level and everybody else stays the same, we have a fighting chance of getting on with it. If they also go down in price, then obviously we have to keep falling to find the place where the exports occur. Milling wheat? Well, as many of you who know me, uh, I'm not a big fan in this part of the world to grow milling wheat, uh, ever popular with the millers. It's a bit of a trip to get to the nearest flour mill, and when you get there, the claim culture gets you for some reason or another. So screening's his favourite this year. Um, The premiums are okay, uh, but I think as the season goes on, there is an abundance of high Hagberg, good kilo-weight wheat. So I don't hold out great hopes of lots of Norfolk wheat going into the millers this season. Moving on to barley... Feed barley, if you look at export values, is trading at a premium to wheat, which is really unusual. Um, In export terms, the traded value is £2 higher than the theoretical value of feed wheat I just gave you. So in actual ex-farm terms, it isn't quite the same. It's about a £2 discount. So feed barley ex-farm for November would be somewhere between 168 and 170 ex-farm. I think this market will be either the same or slightly lower come next Friday. Malting barley has had a fantastically exciting season. The qualities that have been accepted into Molster have been altered. Uh, they've allowed for um, thinner grain and, and slightly higher nitrogens to come into some of their, in, in some of their grists or some of their uh, steeps. At the moment, harvest is really over in, in this part of the world, although in Scotland there's still plenty to go at. Prices are unlikely to zoom up at the moment because if you're a Molster, there's no point chasing something that isn't coming freely towards you. There'll be a period of working out how much they've got, what grades they can alter and where they can buy some stuff a bit cheaper. So in the short term, I think it's going to stay at some pretty hefty prices um, and not really drop off. It might ease back a bit as farmers think, let's get rid of this, let's not risk the germination, let's take these good prices. So bog standard spring barley, the the brewing types up to 185 nitrogen are worth X farm for November in the region of 215 and distilling barleys are worth more than that. As ever with malting barley, it's worth having a conversation about the actual, the sample that you've got to see exactly the, the best way to avoid allowances or the best way to maximise your price. Winter barley is probably worth in the region of 195 for November, but again, that really deserves a conversation with a trader who trades malting barley properly. So no, no real rally coming in the short term, no real news coming in the short term. Pre-Christmas might see the market drift as farmers get rid of the risk of, of losing the germination. Oilseed rape? Um, well, there's an exciting market. Uh, we're a deficit in the UK, we're a deficit in Europe. Um, we're exactly the same price as we were a year ago, and we were predicting a price hike. Uh, we, as a business, got the market horribly wrong on oilseed rape last year, um, and so there's a temptation to think it isn't going to go up. Uh, Because last year we predicted it going up and it went the other way. This year it's slightly different. The the, the deficit, sorry, is is less. And the Australians who saved the day have got a much smaller crop. There's a well-publicised drought occurring and there's been damage done to their crop. So there won't be Australian oilseed rape coming across quite so readily. And it's a bigger deficit. So I think the biggest threat is the size of the US soya crop, which all of the crop reports coming across for corn and for soya seem to be fantastically high at the moment. So I have a a debate with my rape trader, uh, Ian Webster. I I think this time next week, the value of rape ex-farm will be lower than it is today. We value ex-Norfolk oilseed rape at 327. So Webby is saying higher, I'm saying lower. Finally, pulses... um, 
Peas, we, we haven't got any pea growers, um, so I'm not going to comment on it. Beans, well, it's been a terrible year. It's been absolutely awful. It's um, yields are 50% lower than where people expected hoped prices are okay but in no way compensating for the lack of tonnage feed beans are 195x farm for september human consumption if you have a max five percent uh, insect damage brooked beetle uh, is 225 i'm afraid i don't think there are any decent bean samples and i think if you have any i think i'd hold my breath for a little while and not sell it unless it's definitely a feed sample um it's it's very short supply and there is not really many places that can fill the hole. There is a surplus of beans coming out of uh, the Black Sea, Romania, but that, that tonnage will run out. So I think beans, if you can, hold your time on it. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. RTK Farming is the UK's leading independent supplier of RTK Signal, to the farming industry. With RTK delivered via radio or SIM card, RTK Farming can work with any make of GPS equipment, from aftermarket systems such as Trimble and Topcon to factory-fitted equipment. With low annual subscription costs and discounts for multiple vehicles, RTK Farming is the solution. For more information, go to rtkfarming.co.uk. And now it's time for our feature. This week, I'm with Jack Watts, who is the Chief Combinable Crops Advisor for the NFU. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Andrew. Um, Thanks for coming over to Norfolk. It's a bit of a trip from uh, Stonely, isn't it? It is, but um, always a pleasure to come over here and always a pleasure to see the Norfolk countryside. Um, Looking very good um, after a pretty good harvest. Let's start with how would you describe 2018 for farmers? 2018, I think I would describe uh, even in mid-August as a year of two halves. The season hasn't really been about the the cold, late, wet winter on its own or the dry, hot summer on its own. It's been about the combination of the two factors and the and the pressure that that puts on on businesses and the, the level of productivity that they need need to achieve. Um, we've come through to harvest. Luckily, a lot of the dry condition has remained into harvest. Frustratingly, when we get the dry periods, it generally stops when we get to harvest and it just starts to rain and that just compounds things further. But thankfully, dry conditions on the whole have prevailed through a lot of the harvest so far. A little bit of an interlude so far. I mustn't forget that obviously further north, um, we've still got a lot of harvest to, to progress. Um, and it's actually probably been, a, logistically, it's probably been an easier harvest after a really, really tough an uncertain growing season. Of course, after the tough profitability that we've had in recent years, the, the higher prices that we're experiencing at the moment are, of course, welcome. But that depends, of course, on who you are and how you've marketed grain. And we know there are a lot of farmers out there that have sold grain forward um, at much lower prices relative to today's spot price. And at the same time, dealing with potentially lower yields as well. Um, so it's, it's wrong to sort of go out the industry is thriving or the industry is in a, in a big state of peril we, we have to get the balance um just right and there's, there's a huge amount of variation there and we haven't seen all the variation yet coming forward and we will see um, the full scale of that we're currently undergoing our harvest survey um, that will give us some good policy evidence to help inform what we're asking for for a post-brexit agriculture well that was uh, fairly fairly substantial jack um i mean we've got 
the word on the TV with crisis. I mean, I, I in the cereal sector, which is where I'm, I'm spending my time, I, I don't see a crisis. I see a reduction in yield in some cases, as you've said, but largely quality's good and prices have gone up a lot more than the yield loss. So the cereal sector is actually, in my opinion, quite healthy this year. And picking up on your point about the uh, forward selling, farmers have got tools where they can either cash settle or use options or do things to get out of forward contracts um, if they can see a heat wave decimating their crop it's about expertise to get them out of it and I think that there's a, there's, there's a level of sympathy for some farmers in that but they should by now and you and I used to do risk management seminars 12, 13 years ago about this subject so they should know how to get out of it. But tell me a little bit about the, the real people suffering in the livestock sector. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the, the sectors that have felt the, felt the heat, so to speak, of the, of the heat wave um, yeah, have, have been the livestock sectors, whether that's beef and sheep farmers, whether that's in the dairy industry as well. You know, dairy farmers are having, in the middle of summer, having to use a lot of their winter stocks of forage and having to buy in an awful, an awful lot of feed to keep livestock going, keep productivity um, going as well. And that's... That's really where the, the, the bulk of the attention needs to be in terms of understanding the impact of the, of the drought. Now, of course, there's a level of interaction between the arable sector and the livestock sector, and we've seen a huge amount of straw being bailed this year because um, prices are quite supportive of that. But just as important, you know, the dry weather has continued, the ground is hard, um, and that's enabled farmers to mobilise more straw off a farm to move to the west and support the, the livestock um, sector as well. So the, the, in a way, the, the market's working there to help um, provide that support to the livestock industry as, as much as possible. There's a long way to go. A lot will depend on how the autumn opens up and how much rainfall we see, how temperatures fare, how long grass growth goes on. So it's very difficult at this point to sort of to quantify just what the impact is on the on the livestock side of um, things, but we know it's looking pretty severe as we sit here today. Yeah. Coming back to the cereal sector, what worries you about how it all works at the moment? Well, gosh, where do I start? Um, I think part of me moving into the policy arena for the sector was the fact there are some huge challenges um, on, on the horizon for the sector. But essentially, you know, we're, we're competing. And, then, and this is where the sector is probably a bit of a special case relative to other agricultural sectors in that we are dealing with and producing very mobile commodities and they are pure commodities that are traded at any given price point on quality uh, and price and that's what drives global trade. Um, Our fear is that we have a regulatory regime that makes our industry uncompetitive and we uh, essentially we are exporting our our production capacity and importing uh, more and more grain. That's a really important political message that we need to take um, and underpin and how the sector underpins those other livestock sectors. So let's take the drought, for instance. If we didn't have a thriving arable sector, we wouldn't have been able to mobilise uh, that amount of straw out of fields and in, into the livestock industry. And likewise, we're seeing uh, potentially with um, forage as well. So I think it's really important to bear in mind um, with that as well. What else worries me? I think it's we, we're, en- we're entering into an ideology about how we produce food um, and, and entering into sort of um, this... Um, culture of having very very low food prices but not really wanting to discuss the technology that goes into producing that food and we're talking essentially here about 
uh, plant protection products and about the, the view towards these products commonly referred to as, as pesticides. You know? And the, the amount of science that goes into delivering these products just to be dismissed from, from a, for a politician to, to gain popularity is really, really worrying to me. And that, that's no good to farmers in the UK. It's no good actually to consumers in the UK because all we're doing is we're exporting our production capacity and we're exposing our consumers to um, increasingly global forces. And we only have to look at the rise of Donald Trump, the, the increasing role that Russia has in the basically influencing global grain prices and the role of China in hoarding stocks of grain to look that there is a huge amount of danger facing the consumer. And as a populous country of reasonable wealth, um, you know, consumer protection is, is the name of politics. So I think the politicians really need to look into the fact and understand that as well. And that's our role as the NFU is to educate government about you know, getting too carried away with this ideology of um, um, of, of rewilding and everything else together that goes goes with it. You know, there has a lot to be said about, to an extent, domestic um, food security, but then our role in terms of our contribution to, to global food security as well. This, you know, the UK meeting certain standards of production and certain things you can and can't spray and certain things you can and can't do, and you've got to have a whole, a whole load of wildflowers around the outside of the field, is great. Um, and there's a premium for the product that comes off the field, perhaps, and then you're allowed to import, if we do a deal with America, you know, chlorinated chicken or hormone-induced in, beef, so your kids get taller. But it isn't really a, a level playing field, is it? So if the consumer's prepared to turn a blind eye, I think that's the biggest area. My, my view is the biggest area for farmers is to fight on that issue alone, that if you import these things with a different set of rules, then it's not fair, and that's what they're eating. So have lots of big adverts... All of the AHDB and NFU funding goes into adverts saying, have taller children, buy American yeah. beef. Do you think we need to go through a period of difficulty to get the farmers into a position where they can truly make their case with the consumer? I think it's, you know, we are very much at a fork in the road with, with Brexit. You know, we are in the midst of our last harvest before we leave Europe. Um, we are about to start planting the, the crop that we will harvest outside of Europe. And I think there's a, uh, I, I really do believe there's a stark realisation of where we are. I think the, the, the challenge is, is just a huge amount of uncertainty um, that we face. And that goes for anyone, anyone in business, anyone trying to plan anything, simply can't plan with any level of detail. I think we kind of have to appreciate how, just how receptive the consumer, consumer is to, to, to what we want them to hear. Um, but we, we, first of all, what we have to do is to get government to value what food production is we saw earlier in the year the health and harmony consultation where food production hardly got a look in it was all about environment and i think to to be balanced with it you know nfu um, are hugely ambitious about the things that farmers can deliver for the environment i see it um, in an ideal world as being a market in its own right a diversified market and anyone in farming knows that a huge source of resilience to a farming business is having a, a diverse source of cash flow. So when things are challenging, um, there's an alternative income stream to fall back on. And that's how I view future environment schemes. Our current environment schemes aren't there. They're, they're, they're not really fit for purpose because they're not really being delivered as they should be. And to be honest, they're not, not paying enough. They're not providing, not providing the, the rewards that farmers need 
um, to justify doing the work um, that's being asked of them. And I think we've, we've got a real opportunity to work with DEFRA um, to really set an ambition for both um, food production and the environment. And I think we can. there are so many win-wins we can get out of there um, for, for the industry. Will that not lead to all of the potential um, savings or, or all of the money being spent on extra DEFRA people double-checking the width of the grass strip or something? Um, I think w- one area that encourages me um, is that um, DEFRA are very, very... And, and the UK government is, is traditionally been very sceptical of the huge amount of bureaucracy that comes in the common agricultural policy. So I think we can be ambitious about having uh, a proportionate approach to... Um, um, regulating and measuring how public money is used to deliver public goods. Um, so I think we can we can find smarter, even digital ways of doing that. We can even simply as, here's my grass margin, here's my hedgerow that I've been paid to do, and here is a geotagged photograph that I've uploaded to the website, and you can see that I've done it. Um, at the moment, we are, we are you know, because the government is so fearful about penalties from the EU Commission... They're going the full nine yards to make sure that there's nothing going to come back and bite them in the form of of, of um, punitive measures from the EU. Okay, so so you mentioned um, diversification and finding other in, income streams. That's easy for some people. They're you know gregarious and good at meeting people and being nice and you know providing them with bed and breakfast or whatever a holiday let. Not every farmer has the personality suited to that. What should what other things are there for farmers to do? Yeah, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head there, Andrew. We're talking about diversification. I'm very careful when I use the word. I'm, I'm very clear what I mean is having um, strings to a business's bow that, um, from a long-term profitability point of view, stand up in their own right, um, but complement each other in terms of providing short-term cash resilience for when grain prices go through a period of... Um, of, of depression and so there's something else to fall fall back on where I kind of draw the line on diversification is where there's clearly one enterprise propping up another and I, I think that's where we got to in the in sort of the 80s into the early 90s um, with that and I think that that that's wrong for a progressive business to be using the profit, long-term profitability of one sector to be propping up another when I think of diversification I think of benefits for the majority of farmers I think of a land-based environment scheme that is accessible to all um, that that encourages measures to be put in place that, that enables farmers to, to, to tap into funding so it might be in the form of cover crop schemes um, where farmers establish flowering cover crops for instance during the autumn to then give a good lead into spring cropping and um, we've seen uh, you know, a new take on overwintered stubbles to support the wild birds through the hungry gap through the winter and, and, and things like that. Just one, one final thing. The, 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 are you worried about the... We've just had another grain merchant announce a loss um, and there's been some very significant losses in the industry in the last uh, 12 and 24 months. Are you concerned about the future prospects for the number of people for farmers to trade with? Yeah, I think um, uh, we've seen a growth in on-farm storage capacity, more farmers drying their own grain, and, and essentially less grain available on the market at harvest. And so I see th- th- there's much more of a partnership uh, role rather than a transactional trading um, position here, in in my opinion. And 
you know, our merchants, merchanting sector is based on a model, again, of high volume, low margin, um, and basically driven by what we're seeing in wheat, which was fine when we were producing 16 million tonne plus crops of wheat. And we were exporting two to three million tonnes of wheat and we were importing around a million tonnes of wheat. The dynamic has changed clearly now. I'm working on the assumption now for the foreseeable future that the UK will be a net importer of wheat until, if anything, drastic can happen. But I'm running with that assumption. Even as short as five years ago, that's quite a big assumption. It was, was, was quite unthinkable to be making. If you look at some of the challenges we're seeing in crop production, so the loss of key seed treatments um, coming up and some other key challenges we're facing on on fungicides. Um, Unfortunately, that spells a declining wheat area in the UK. And so it's going to be less about high volume, low margin, and more about that how how the supply chain thinks differently. And it is a big concern for farmers. It's a big concern that farmers want to be able to trade with a competitive market both on their inputs and both on the outputs as, as well. Um, and and that, that, is con- that is concerning. Um, and sort of to be, you know, to be ready and to be prepared. And it's irrespective of Brexit. This was, this was happening irrespective of Brexit anyway. Um, but the supply chain has to go through a little bit of a, a revolution to be, to be stable. Um, I'm very interested in, in, if we look at horticulture and we look in the dairy sectors, we see the rise of producer organisations, which allows basically collaboration between farmers to, to have an amalgamation point to drive a better understanding um, and to give another avenue to the, um, to the marketplace um, as well. So we have to be looking at how modern-day supply chains will work. This sort of very transactional nature of supply chains I don't think is very sustainable um, there needs to be competition um, and we, we need to be ambitious about what the future looks like. Jack I, I thank you very much for uh, coming along today I really appreciate it um, I would say there are some tough times ahead because I think there's going to be some mistakes made in order for them to be corrected I think you know that this government have got a very tough time with Brexit and no one really knows whether after March the surplus or deficit of wheat will have tariffs applied or not Um, and it's a very difficult time for the industry to go through until we find the answer Um, I'm confident with you you know working on farmers behalf tapping on Mr Gove's door that you're going to have or be able to tell him the things where he should be looking Um, So, yes, thank you very much. No, thank you very much. Built for adventure. See the new breed of off-roader. The all-new Mitsubishi Shogun Sport at Constitution Motors. This vehicle is a versatile seven-seat 4x4 SUV. Experience space, luxury and its 2.4-litre turbo diesel engine along with a host of safety features to make your off-road experience exceptional. It's the most luxurious ride and feel ever from a Shogun Sport, as talented as it is tough. Find it at Constitution Mitsubishi at their new showroom on Mile Cross Lane, Norwich, and online at constitution-mitsubishi.co.uk.
And now it's time for Farm Chat. Here we are in the pub and this is the launch of our podcasting career. It is. It's very exciting. So hopefully we'll get off to a flying start. The first thing I would like to do is test one of our new beers. But before I do so, I'm here today with Claire... And she's, I'm going to give her a grilling on podcasts. She is one of the producers of this show. Um, and I really kind of need to understand the dynamic of what a podcast really is. So what beer have you brought along for me, Claire? So, Andrew, this is the Barsham Brewery's Norfolk Kiwi, which has won a shed load of awards, um, including the Champion Beer of East Anglia in 2016. It's 3.8%, and so it's like a kind of easy-drinking bitter. And it's made using the finest locally grown Maris, Otter, Barley and Wheat. And apparently that's why it has like this kind of golden straw colour. So what do you think? Well, as you bought it, I'd say it's really tasty. <laughs> no, it is, it is a good beer, and I'm hoping it's going to be a good beer because we've got it on the uh, Aylsham show stand this year, and by the time you're hearing this podcast, you've either, well, you're going to taste it today if you're coming along, or you've already, already had some. So I'm, uh, my first impression is actually it's very good. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you like it. So, so we're calling this last section Old People and Technology Today. Now, in reality, it is proof that a husband listens to his wife's advice because being 56, slightly wrinkly, I am someone who is not in the podcast world. I'm told that nowadays people listen to this. This is their way of communicating. And I'm going to try and get to the bottom of whether that's going to work or whether it isn't and try and understand the dynamic of what my wife's been trying to tell me. Well, yeah, exactly. And I'm here to reassure you that you're going to be terribly modern and it's all good. Good. So being the old person, let's start with what is a podcast? Okay, so basically it's a radio show downloaded from the internet. Um, it's, It's very much like on demand TV. If you're using an iPhone, you find your podcast app. Or if you're on Android, then Stitcher is a good one to download. And then you just search in the search bit for Dewing Grain Podcast the independent grain trader for farmers, and hit subscribe. That's all there is to it. When new episodes get released, they'll automatically download and you can listen to them through your podcast app. Okay, that sounds simple, even for someone like me. Um, I'm sure a lot of people like me have heard about podcasts, but don't really know what they are. Yeah, and I think that's something we come across a lot. Oh, yeah, I've heard of podcasts. What actually are they? If you haven't listened to podcasts, you've basically got this like whole world out there because there's a podcast that covers just about every subject that there is. From My Dad Wrote a Porno, which is genuine, very funny podcast, to Farming Today, which probably a lot of people listening might have you know listened to on Radio 4 and might not even realise that they can download it and listen to it whenever they want to. If you want super clear notes on podcasts and how to listen to them, then if you just go to the Dew and Grain website and also redirect your mates there so that they can also join the podcasting revolution. Okay, sounds good. I guess my kids would be more something like my dad has always been asked to star in a porno. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But why a podcast about doing grain? To be honest, Andrew, you're getting to that age in life where people (laughs) might like to take you seriously. That's my first point. Also, podcasts are great because... You know, let's face it, most farmers are stuck in a truck or a tractor during the day and can now play their phone in their cab and so they can listen. And so it's great for them to be able to pick up a podcast and find something that's really useful to them rather than listening to Jeremy Vine or Ed Sheeran's Greatest Hits. Finally, they will get your advice for free every week, which will mean that they can make better choices for their grain. And also, of course, enjoy listening to the feature each week and this section of Farm Chat. 
Okay, so my slight concern with that is if I have someone phoning me up and they ask me advice, I can talk to them, I can reason with them, I can give them an explanation. And at the end of it, they may feel a slight pang of responsibility stroke guilt that perhaps they ought to trade with me because I've just given quite a lot away of research for free. Here I am pounding out for free information and the farmer can anonymously phone everybody up or do whatever they do to get a price and sell it to somebody else. What would be the benefit? How is this going to work commercially? Yeah, I totally take your point. And of course, that is an option. You know, it's a free world. But if they are taking your advice, then presumably it's best to go to the horse's mouth, isn't it? And you have a fabulous team with you. So doing grain is about long relationships and you'll get more people trading with you and building a relationship with their trader because they're going to be listening to this podcast and thinking, oh, that's really good advice. Like, I'm going to give them a call. Literally last week, I was on holiday with someone and they had just got a text through from a trader at Dewing Grain. And I said, oh, oh, is that one of those like generic texts that go around to everyone? Um, because it was really long. And he said, no, it's just to me. Um, so, you know, that, that's the benefit, isn't it, if they're going to get in touch? Thanks, Claire. You're like now my podcasting agony aunt. Yeah, hopefully farmers will take our advice on this. But another thing that's motivated me to do this is I think farmers need to be educated in terms of how they market their grain and they need to be less afraid about how or what they do with their grain trading. For lots of years the trade has, has, has been interested in making as much muck and mystery about the whole process as they possibly can and in, in fact it doesn't need to be like that. If I can trade grain and I can buy grain or sell grain, think depending on whether the market's going up or down, so can a farmer. So if a farmer can find it very easy to sell grain, he can pick up the phone to any one of ten people and get a price from them. Right. But can he buy it back? They, it's, it's very difficult. People make it complicated. And the, and the reps that are out on farms haven't got the authority to do that. And they have to go through two or three or four people, depending on how big the company is. Right. And our business is focused on allowing farmers. If, if there's a sudden drought like this summer, yeah. and the market's obviously going up, and someone's sold all their grain, we allow farmers to come on and say... I'm in trouble, I'm not going to have enough grain or I think the price is going to go up and we allow them to trade it back to us. In other words, they become the buyer of the product they've sold in the first place. Right, yeah. All right, they've made a loss on that trade but if they're right and the drag kicks in like it did then the price goes up quite dramatically and they resell the grain at a much higher price deduct off the difference between the loss on their earlier trade and they end up better off and they wow. feel more empowered. Yeah. And small companies, bespoke companies can do that and I think that's fair. And by not penalising farmers or making it overly costly, that's where the trade lets itself down by not really being fair on that side of the trade because if every farmer knew they could buy or sell it, I could say that becomes complicated and difficult, but it isn't. No. It's the same process in reverse. So if you can do it one way, you can do it the other. Therefore, open your mind to that and be relaxed about it and just trade. The reality is the weather occurs. Donald Trump gets voted in and does really strange things with tariffs. Yeah. Or there's a whole host of other political issues that can occur. And, and you can be wrong. And therefore, if you're, if you're allowed to be wrong and you can get out of it and you know how to do that, then... Yeah, trade out of it. As long as you come back and trade again to correct everything up, it's a reasonably simple process. The other thing I want to say I, I, to, to farmers is 
and I think this is a great way to do it, that, that there's, there's much more to just the price of grain being given to you. If someone's bidding you £2 more for the same product, like we had two a couple of years ago, there was a firm that started bidding two or three pounds more than everybody else could really? bid via text. And so we'd wow. have farmers coming in saying, ah, oh, you, you're ripping us off, you're doing us oh. down. The company was going broke. And they were bidding more money just to get grain to come in to keep the, th- the thing afloat. Right. And all, our farmers were comparing us with someone who was going to go broke. Yeah. And we were judged. And we were criticised and we were ripping people off. Right. And the reality was it was not an accurate price and it's wholly unfair. So you need to really understand the dynamic of what a bid is and where that grain is going to go. If your grain was bought for next May and someone was paying £3 more than perhaps we were, you know, our grain is 95% certain to go to a Norfolk consumption home, which is a £5.50 haul away from where your farm is. Right. If you're selling it to somebody else, they can pick it up and take it where they want to. They can take it to, to Argyle if they want to. They can take it to Hull. They can take it to Preston, where lots and lots of Norfolk grain ends up. Right. If there's a problem with that load, and it can, you know, a piece of rat dropping or something, the farmer is responsible for the haulage cost and the redirection charges and the cleaning charges and it will be nearly the whole cost of the load and they will lose every 50p gain they got by selling it to someone for more money who is buying your grain where is it going to go to if they can't give you a straightforward answer and say well it'll go somewhere in the uk that's not good enough if it's going to go to norfolk it's going to be dealt with much more effectively if there is a problem and much, much more importantly, it's going to cost a lot less money to the farmer. So it's, it, there is lots of things that farmers need to understand about their trading that can reduce the risks they take just by going for price. Right, you see, we're already on a roll. So by the way, Andrew, do you ever listen to any podcasts? Honestly, up to this moment, no, I haven't. But this is proof that I listen to my wife and my younger members of the team. They tell me that it's the way to get information and it's easily accessible. And I can see, I can see their point. Um, I look forward to seeing whether they're right or not. So what have we got coming up in future shows? Well, each week we will have an up-to-the-minute market report from you, Andrew. There will be a feature on subjects such as the psychology of trading, crop science, control track farming, modern innovative farming techniques around land structure and soil. And on a lighter note, we will have Farm Chat where we will be looking at farming fashion, not just red trousers, a farmer's guide to keeping busy over the winter, and, of course, sampling a beer or two. I like the sampling beer or two bit. I'm not so sure about the red trousers. <laughs> right, that wasn't so difficult. And do you know what? I really enjoyed that Barsham Norfolk Kiwi. Oh, good. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by tinshedproductions.co.uk in conjunction with eastcoastproduction.co.uk.